0: That was page 1009, Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he decided to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no rights to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you, all.
1: Well, I've really enjoyed this letter to the Hebrews. Uh, I hope you have too. Uh, I'm actually kind of sad to be finishing it in a way, to be honest. But my prayer is that we've opened it together enough these 10 weeks that you'll be confident to go back into the letter again yourself uh, and again and again over the rest of your journey in this Christian faith. Uh, The letter has shown us with great clarity just what that Christian faith is all about, And so if we could uh, summarise what it is that we hope in as Christians, what it is that Jesus, our prophet and priest and king, has done for us, then, then we'd say that he came to proclaim the gospel of God's grace to us, as in the last words of this letter. God's grace to us, that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven of our sin and washed clean and are being made ready now for the presence of God and and all by the Lord Jesus, who, who will in the end rule and, and reign over all things, world without end. Uh, as the letter winds up in chapter 12, uh, uh, it captures, uh, in verse 22, that great salvation uh, in different imagery, vivid imagery this time in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God Uh, And the longing of God, actually, the longing of God right through the Old Testament to create a people for himself whom he could have in his holy presence, that longing of God has now been fulfilled and is being fulfilled by Jesus. And we ought not lose sight of of just how great and, and wonderful a thing that that is that we just read in those verses, that we should be brought into the holiness of God that, that would otherwise, of course, exclude us from his presence if not for that mediating work of Jesus because of our unholiness. So those glorious truths there in verses 22 to 24 come in the context of verses 18 to 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. We must not lose sight of the sheer holiness of our God and yet nor that this mediator verse 24 has brought us into his presence by his grace such that even now he is dwelling in us by his spirit if we have come to Jesus the language, though, in verses 22 to 24 is a curious mix of, of present reality and, and future inheritance. Uh, this is already ours, but not yet. We're not yet in heavenly Jerusalem, verse 22, but uh, we are enrolled, verse 23. It's very much ours and we can know that for sure if we're in Jesus and yet in another sense it's, it's set aside for us to inherit in God's good timing, which, if you think about it for long enough, eventually sets up the question as, as, as to what about the here and now then? Uh, what should we do now, knowing that this is all ours and, and, and will be ours for all eternity because of our prophet and priest and king, then what are we to do now? How should we live now while we wait for uh, that full inheritance that's still to come? What kind of life response to this good gospel would would be pleasing and acceptable in God's eyes? That's the language this last section of the letter is is framed in. Uh, So in chapter 12 and verse 28, for example, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, For our God is a consuming fire. In light of his grace to us in this gospel, we should live lives now that are acceptable to God. Again in chapter 13 and and verse 16 uh, over the page, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. And, and again in verse 21 there, now may the God of peace, uh, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Clearly, our, our natural response to having received this good gospel of grace uh, is that we should live. Uh, here on out in a way that will be pleasing and acceptable in God's eyes he has purchased us with his blood he has purchased us to be his people forever Uh, setting aside for us this eternal and and incomparable reward that Hebrews has been uh, proclaiming to us of course we should now live lives that are fitting uh, for that kind of glory that's ahead of us lives that are fitting for our God. So the pointy end of this letter is is fairly well clear. It speaks to the obvious holiness that we should now strive for if if we truly have heard him and been saved into uh, his house. Uh, So again, chapter 12 and verse 28, Let us be grateful, therefore, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence with awe for our god is a consuming fire it's clear enough as a concept but what exactly are we talking about here uh, what does acceptable reverent awe field worship look like well there's a bunch of Uh, almost bullet point examples dotted through this last part of the letter. It's not an exhaustive list of things, but clear examples of of what is fitting for the people of God. Things that mark a a life of worship that would be pleasing and acceptable to our God. Uh, So uh, I don't know how else to go through them, but to just run through them as if they are bullet points. Chapter 12 and verse 14, there's one. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's hard to be sure of the scope here of that word everyone, but I think like Romans 12, everyone here would seem to mean both those within the church and also without the church. So what would that look like? Perhaps we could engage our wider culture with this gospel of grace peaceably if we just rise to the argument with them, the heat, the the vitriol, then we're engaging on their terms. Uh, They'd probably like us to engage them unpeacefully because then we'd be just like them. But Christians are new, new and being made new. So we ought to be able to engage with this gospel differently to the way that the world likes to engage. So too within the church, of course. In times of disagreement in the church, we should always strive for peace with one another. It's part of being new. But in neither of those contexts, though, uh, does peace simply mean accepting or affirming or or embracing sin in ourselves or, or in the other. On the contrary, the rest of the verse there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we must learn how to, how to balance these things, how to strive for both peace and holiness. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, verse 15. Here I think we are talking about within the church where we have a duty to watch over each other in this Christian faith. Hard to do this though without spending time with one another and spending good time with one another, getting to know how we really are inside and hard to do it therefore without each being a bit vulnerable with each other. And yet the call is here that will require us to do so. See verse 15 that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Bitterness. There's things in these scriptures like bitterness and and, and resentment and and grumbling uh, that we just, I I don't know, these sins rise up in us so easily, don't they? And perhaps I wonder so easily that, that we might be inclined to think lightly of them and yet there's so many warnings against them. Bitterness leads to division and strife. Bitterness mars and and threatens the peaceful community of Christ. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau, the brother of Israel, if you know the story from Genesis 25, Esau gave away his inheritance to his brother in exchange for a single bowl of soup when he was hungry and lentil soup at that just just FYI Hebrews has set out repeatedly for us how great our inheritance is in Jesus Christ and the point along the way is that we don't throw that away like Esau Jesus has saved us from the judgment of our sin into the reward of heaven it's called us now into holiness we must now follow his way and what else would make sense if you think about this gospel it's interesting that sexual immorality is 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 included in that verse because how fleeting that one moment of pleasure is compared to uh, the eternal glory and joy that jesus has called us into that's a temptation very much like esau's moment of foolishness The word under sexual immorality, by the way, not just here, all through the scriptures, the word underneath this in the original language is like a catch-all word for every sexual act outside the marriage relationship. It's there again in chapter 13 and verse 4. Let marriage be held in honour among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Marriage is more precious to God than we probably realise. And sex, therefore, is something sacred too. And uh, this is an instruction, like all of these instructions, this is an instruction for the whole church, not just suddenly for those who are married. Everyone must honour marriage. Marriage is can be honoured in the church by upholding and and not violating any of those precious, uh, specific relationships. So too, marriage can be honoured as a whole by not taking the things that were given by God for the marriage relationship for common use, nor to twist them or or distort them. Uh, We might even think sins like this are harmless too, invisible even. But God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Chapter 13 and verse 1, let brotherly love continue. We must learn how to love genuinely uh, other people and in all kinds of ways, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. Christian love is pretty radical and it should extend to those that we don't often think of. I reckon we're polite with strangers but maybe not hospitable. Uh, at least not in its biblical sense. How often do we remember those in prison? I mean, we're usually just happy to know that they've been safely put away, without even knowing their story, of course, or what actually happened, or more importantly, the state of their heart. But many of those in prison belong to the Lord. They are slated for the very same reward that you and I are. So too many of his people are mistreated in in this life and and yet sometimes we might not really bat an eye about that. Or worse, just kind of avoid them, you know, until things sort themselves out for that person. Some brother or sister is going through an awful ordeal and and sometimes we just more or less write them off, actually, for the time. Keep your life free from love of money, verse 5, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Contentedness. Contentedness has all but vanished from our society today. In fact, our society feeds and feeds on our discontent, doesn't it? And what about this love? Of, how do we know when we've, when we've gone into the love of money, when, we, when we've slipped from being wise stewards with what we've been given by God to, to being lovers of money? Maybe by keeping an eye too on our discontent. What we have from God, after all, is not just the things of this life, but an eternal and infinite reward. How is it that money in this life so easily clouds out that view? But it does, doesn't it? Remember your leaders, verse 7, are those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way uh, and Im- imitate their life, their faith. Uh, for a simple bullet list, I think this is getting... I don't know, it's touching on things that our modern way of life has really lost all touch with, if you think about it. Uh, Christianity today is much like the modern world on, on this point too. We, we are so very independent, we're so autonomous actually, uh, that we've got no time for a command like this. We don't even like that word, leaders, makes our skin crawl. But there's an equal challenge in here, isn't there, for, for leaders, Leaders, speak the word of God clearly, faithfully. Model a faith in your own life that is worth people seeing and imitating. Uh, Let God uh, yield in you uh, the right outcome for them to see. By what? By pursuing the way of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We instinctively want to reshape the Christian life and doctrine to match our social context, to make it more palatable to other people, more appealing, or or to fit ourselves in with the way that others tend to do things. But the vital truths of the gospel of grace will never change. In the day when this letter was written, one of the obvious pressures on the church was to conform back to the ways of Judaism. We've seen that uh, running all the way through this letter and there it is again in verses 9 and 10. Uh, In our day, the pressure on the church is uh, coming from a a godless and and yet very vocal minority, really, in, in the world at large. But boy, what a pressure it is. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, the church is collapsing under that pressure. But the life of true worship that's being spelt out here, what it is to live pleasing and acceptable lives in the eyes of our God, such as, as we've seen, keeping ourselves away from sexual immorality, pursuing genuine brotherly love, being humble, being content with all of our blessings and, and so on and so forth. We're thinking through here that the way of Jesus will never change because Jesus will never change. So do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and and bear the reproach that he endured for here we have no lasting city we seek the city that is to come brothers and sisters uh, we are not going to look pleasing and acceptable in the eyes of this world not ever if we are following jesus We won't look uh, pleasing and acceptable to this world. We won't look pleasing and acceptable in the eyes of those churches that fold to the ways of the world. If we belong to Jesus, then we must be content with that, content to be despised and rejected like he was. And so be it. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. If we call ourselves by the name of Jesus, then our lives must bear the appropriate fruit. Do not neglect to do good, verse 16, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's just the outflow, though, isn't it, of that genuine brotherly love, uh, doing good, sharing what you have. This this is just what brotherly love leads to. Obey your leaders and submit to them, verse 17, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grumbling, for for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, this is just the outflow, isn't it, of of remembering your leaders and, and watching their lives of faith. And and for leaders, this is just the outflow, isn't it, of ministry? You will give an account. So watch over the souls in your care faithfully under the word of God through Jesus Christ. These are good bullet points. And so the letter finishes with all of these bullet points as a vital call upon the church and yet on each person in the church too. If you think them through, in fact, you may have noticed as we work through that list, those two dimensions to all these things in those listed items. The personal response that they all involve and yet the community of relationship that they all require. Uh, Scan through the text again if you didn't and and you'll see it now for sure. The community cannot live out its call properly, fully, if, if individuals are neglecting these things. But the individual can't carry out any of these things without being in community. So there's actually a beautiful interplay here all the way through between personal conviction on these matters and the communal bond we share. The church is not just the sum total of, of all the individual believers around the world, but their life together as one, which creates a beautiful balance between the personal response to Jesus and the corporate belonging in his church. Both of those things are vital for us to understand. The I is crucial, but the we is crucial too. Only with eyes on both can we truly come into things like accountability, submission, commitment, love. So as we hit the application end of this letter, we ought to have eyes on both of those things and I guess we might ask questions of these things in both kinds of ways. Personally, for one, I mean, how are you tracking on these things in these bullet points? Are you content... Are you free from the love of money? Are you free from sexual immorality? You living brotherly love uh, and, and brotherly love to all kinds of people, not just the people uh, you like or who like you, living free of the immoral kind of love that, that the world strives for? Do you, do you live with honour? Do you honour your leaders? Do you honour your uh, friends who are in marriage? Do you honour marriage itself? Under God, Do you strive for peace with all people and are you pursuing the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? These are vital questions we each must ask of ourselves. But so too we need to have an eye on our community here at church. How are we tracking as a community on these things together? And so too, of course, we need to understand the interplay between the two. Are you braving yourself in to community? It's a hard thing to do. But how are you tracking on that? Are you willing to do that and be in community, in genuine Christian relationship? Do you think that your personal walk is somehow separate from your church's walk in these things? Because actually it's not. You can't truly track through these things at all without Christian community. And yet when you truly are in Christian community, how you do track through these things does affect others. And in a community, of course, others can support you and help you in these things and vice versa too. You can support and help them. So we might take hold of both scopes uh, and with one connected into the other as we set out on, on, I guess, the journey ahead of us now in the wake of this letter we've been looking through. What areas do still need attention? Uh, What things are we doing that that maybe are, are not pleasing and acceptable to God? Are we reverent? Do we hold God in awe as we should? Are we testing him maybe, grieving him perhaps, in, instead of living lives of worship? What commitment would we make today, We're personally or together, what commitment would we make to live lives that are more pleasing, more acceptable in light of all that he has done for us as we've been reading through this letter, to bring us to him through Jesus Christ? What, what can we change or improve? How could we be more Honouring, honouring of one another, honouring too of of this wonderful and and awesome God. Hebrews has been bringing great clarity to the Christian faith and, and it ends up here at the end, putting great clarity too, therefore, on the Christian life. What we believe must flow into what we do. And it's been shaking out a lot of false responses to the gospel of grace all the way through too. And it seems to be shaking out again here uh, at the end a couple more false responses that we could make to the gospel. Nominalism, for one thing, that is cast away here. Being Christian in in name only, without any genuine life response to Jesus, is, is, is rejected here, isn't it? Just comprehensively rejected. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Lips that bear his name truly will yield fruit worthy of his name because he will do that in his people. So, too, the modern idea in the church of living a, a private faith is sort of shaken out by these bullet points, isn't it, and, and, and discarded. As we often say, and as Anthony just said before, you just cannot do any of the one and others of Scripture without committing and, and submitting in the local community of Jesus' church. So let those false responses be, be sifted out here and cast away by this great letter. There is only one thing that God is doing. There is only one fitting response to our prophet and priest and king, Jesus, and we each must pursue it together. And so much so that we should pause to catch the final warning of this letter, uh, that we don't neglect such a great and heavenly calling, chapter 12 and verse 25, by such a great and awesome God. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake, not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. God shook the earth at Mount Sinai when he gave his law to Israel. That's in Exodus 19 and following, if you want to get to the backstory story of that first case mentioned there. And he will shake again, not just the earth, but also the heavens when he carries out a final reckoning. That that second part comes from uh, the minor prophet Haggai, which we looked at a few months ago. Uh, in Haggai chapter 2, uh, God commissioned the people to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, do you remember? And he encouraged them in that work. But he also promised through Haggai another great shaking and one that Hebrews here interprets as as meaning, that that, that rebuilding work in, in Haggai, Day was actually about rebuilding only the reminder, the shadow, the copy of of the true house that God would one day build, the heavenly city as he calls it here now in, in verse 22. Everything else will be shaken away and only his house will remain and his house Will be holy. The accompanying warning here, therefore, to, to not come into that house would, would be the devastating end. And so, of course, we must not refuse him who has spoken all of these things. Verse twenty-five. And it's not that we can be saved by his grace and then somehow be shaken out and thrown away by by not being holy enough in our lives verse 25 warning there no that's not what rather the warning here is that if we if we aren't wanting him to reshape us in holiness now then we haven't entirely turned from our sin have we if we don't want him to be reshaping us in holiness then we haven't truly turned from our sin in repentance Whether it's in that once and and fundamental life surrender kind of repentance to Jesus to be saved by his grace or, or in that ongoing sense of repentance as the Spirit keeps convicting his people to bring them more and more into holiness now as they follow Jesus. The scripture brings the same question to bear on us. Are we listening to him? Are we listening to our God? Because we don't want to discover in the end at that final reckoning, that, that, that actually we didn't end up listening to God because actually we never were going to listen to God. And yet if we were ever going to listen to God, then why wouldn't we listen to him today? He wants us to be clear on where we stand. What we believe must flow into what we now do. So, once again, hear uh, this uh, clear and precious truth about Jesus' church. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This, and no less, is what God saves his people into. So take courage, take clarity in this life of faith now, brothers and sisters, and grace be with all of you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your scripture and we thank you for your letter to the Hebrews that we've had the privilege of of thinking through these last 10 weeks or so thank you for what we end on today and we pray that you would take your word here and weave it into our dna help us to truly understand who we now are and who we will yet be in jesus and by jesus father i pray you bring those who still need to step into this great faith Uh, that you would take them and bring them and and walk them into this faith, please, Lord. And strengthen then and clarify the faith and the life too of those who you have brought in so that you uh, bring good fruit out of our lives now, uh, both in each one of us and and together as one, such that all that we would think and, and say and do will be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes and increasingly so. In the name of our Lord, the name that we bear, in Jesus we do pray. Amen.